This evening we're going to consider Abraham's return to Canaan. Abraham's return to Canaan, we're looking at the whole of Genesis chapter 13. You may recall that Abraham, after leaving his father's house, his homeland in Mesopotamia, after being called by God, having been given and receiving rather the promise that in him and in his seed all families of the earth shall be blessed, Abraham pitched his tent in Canaan, the promised land. But then came a grievous famine resulting in Abraham going down to Egypt for a while. That's what we looked at last week. Whilst there, Abraham and Sarai hid the fact that they were married because Abraham reasoned that the Egyptians would kill him if they knew that he was Sarai's husband and Sarai was a, a fair woman to look upon. She was beautiful. And so he reasoned that the Egyptians, if they knew that he was married to Sarai, they'd kill him and then they'd take Sarai away. As it turned out, when they were in Egypt, the palace officials took Sarai anyway. They saw her to be a fair woman to look upon, and the palace officials took Sarai and presented her to the king, to Pharaoh. As for Abraham, his life was spared, and he received sheep, oxen, he asses, men servants, maid servants, she asses and camels, he received all sorts of things. And it was suggested at the time that what Pharaoh was doing was uh, thinking that Abraham was Sarai's brother because he'd said, tell them that you're my sister and not my wife. So Pharaoh thinking, oh well, um, give him all these presents and essentially buy his sister to be my wife. That was the suggestion, that isn't in the text. But it seems reasonable to think that. Anyway, bearing in mind that the promise of blessings to all the families of the earth, obviously to start off with, that would mean um, Sarai, who'd now been presented to, taken away and presented to Pharaoh, presumably to end up in his harem. Well, the blessings were really, in the first instance, depending on Sarai, giving Abraham Abraham a, a, a child, a son. Because it's in the, the promise was in Abraham and his seed would all the families of the earth be blessed. So with that in mind, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Pharaoh then rebuked Abraham, having somehow or other found out that Abraham was indeed married to Sarai. And the two of them, Abraham and his wife Sarai, they were sent away along with all that they had, which was, as we shall see, a lot. That brings us to today's passage, chapter 13, which is an account of Abraham returning to Canaan, the land of promise, after his time, after his stay in Egypt. It's a chapter in which the faithful obedience of Abraham to his call is seen and we shall see the Lord's abundant grace upon his servant. 
Also we shall see a reiteration of the promise of great blessings that the Lord had already made to Abraham. Let's have a look again at these verses, verses 1 through to 4. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham. Abraham, his name would eventually be changed to Abraham, in a vision saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding... Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing here, wrong chapter. Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. How long Abraham actually spent in Egypt is not given to us. As for when he left Egypt, that's not given to us. You may assume that when um, Pharaoh commanded his men, look at the previous chapter, verse 20, the last verse in chapter 12, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, they sent him away and his wife and all that he had, I don't know, perhaps that means sent him away out of Egypt, maybe, not necessarily, we don't really know. They may have left Egypt later on, when the famine in Canaan was was over. Anyway, Abraham left Egypt with his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, his servant, and his possessions. Speaking of possessions, the thing to note when Abraham left Egypt is his material wealth. He wasn't just rich, he was very rich in cattle, in silver, in gold, having received much from Pharaoh. Also, he had had accumulated uh, great possessions in Haran prior to being called by the Lord. Even though Abraham was very rich, he returned to where he had originally pitched his tent and built an altar to the Lord between Bethel and Ai in Canaan. You can see that in the previous chapter if you just cast your eyes at verse 8, chapter 12. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Well, having gone into Egypt, spent some time there because of the famine in the land of promise, Canaan, he's now back where he was in the previous chapter in verse 8. I say even though Abraham was very rich, because all too often earthly riches are a real obstacle. Abraham was very rich and still he returned to where he had originally pitched his tent and built an altar unto the Lord in the promised land, even though he was not just rich, very rich. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about the deceitfulness of riches in his parable of the sower. It's worth noting in the New Testament that riches can be a very real obstacle. 
In another parable, Jesus spoke about a rich man who had an abundant harvest. With no thought for God, he built himself bigger barns and he said, My soul, my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be? which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You might think that if you've got abundant abundant possessions in this world, you'd give praise to God, but that's not the case. That is definitely not the case. You end up worshipping your possessions and exalting uh, yourself rather than magnifying God However, things were very different with Abraham. Although he could so easily have reasoned to himself that since God had given him so much, there really was no need for him to remove himself, his wife, his entourage and return to Canaan. Abraham could have done something like that, but he didn't. He remained focused on God's call and the promise that was made to him. You do well to consider just how important the Lord Jesus Christ is to you, dear Christian, compared with the value that you might place on your material possessions. For example, there was a rich young ruler who went away sorrowful when Jesus said to him, Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Jesus went on to say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Having said that, it can be seen with Abraham that abject poverty is not the only way to be at peace with God because Abraham wasn't poor, he was rich and he was a man of God. He received all the promises of God a promise that's, that that uh, we are beneficiaries of now if we're Christians. So you don't have to be poor to be a recipient of God's abundant grace and mercy. There's no need to give all of your riches to the poor unless, of course, you really do believe that the Lord is telling you to do that. There's no need for you to cast all your possessions into the sea thinking that your actions will secure God's approval. What do you think that would be if you were to, without really any, if you, if you cast all your possessions into the sea or gave everything away so that you, you were, you were poor and you were doing that to please God. That was your motivation. If I do this, I'm going to please God and gain God's approval. It's called a religion of works. And God is not impressed with such actions. Religion of works is completely unacceptable to God for it is by grace that you are saved. If you're a Christian, it's by the grace of God you are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. No boasting in heaven about how you gave away all your money. No boasting in heaven about anything that you said or did. It's all glory to God for, for, for pouring out his grace and his mercy upon you. Augustine wisely teaches that the rich and poor are collected together in the same inheritance of life because poor Lazarus was received into the bosom of rich Abraham. You see that in Luke's Gospel. When the poor man Lazarus died, he was taken to the bosom of Abraham by the angels. So, rich and poor alike in heaven. Let's look at verse 9. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee. This is Abraham speaking. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Not only Lot, uh, sorry, not only Abraham, but his nephew Lot had much in the way of servants and possessions. To give you some idea just how much they had, we can have a look at what Abraham had in the very next chapter, in chapter 14. And it can be seen in chapter 14, verse 14, that he assembled 318 of his servants. Abraham assembled 318 servants. That is a lot of people, isn't it? And we're told in chapter 13 that they both had plenty. Yes, verse 6 in chapter 13. The land was not able to bear them. This is Abraham and Lot. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And in verse 7, we're told that there were disputes between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Also by saying to Lot, in the very next verse, in verse 8, look at verse 8, Abraham said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. There's no mention of strife between Abraham and Lot in verse 7. It, the strife is between the, the two sets of herdsmen. Abraham's herdsmen, there, there were contentions between them and Lot's herdsmen. But even so, it would seem that Abraham, he could see that inevitably the strife would end up between him and his nephew Lot as well. So Abraham, having foreseen that strife, proposed a separation of himself and his men from Lot and his men. It's reasonable to say that Abraham, he could have pulled rank on his nephew. He didn't have to say to, to his nephew Lot, you go to the left, I'll go to the right, you go to the right, I'll go to the left, or, or anything like that. He was being, being very kind there, wasn't he? And he didn't need to do that. He was Lot's uncle after all. He did, but he didn't pull rank. He didn't dictate where he and his men would go and where Lot and his men would go or anything like that. Very sacrificially, in order to restore peace, Abraham allowed Lot, his nephew, 
to choose. Consequently, whilst Abraham continued to abide in the land of Canaan, Lot chose for himself the well-watered plain of Jordan, which was to the east, but apparently was still part of the land of Canaan. I think it's this one doing. Do that door. Thank you. When you consider Lot, he made the choice to head eastward to the fertile plain of the Jordan. Because why? Why did he choose that? It was well watered. It's as simple as that. In other words, it looked like the best place to go for pasture for his cattle. It certainly seems like his choice was made for selfish reasons and with no consideration for Abraham or anyone or anything else. It just seemed like the best place to go. However, his choice of what appeared to be uh, a superior place to pitch his tent resulted in what? It resulted in him having the men of Sodom as his neighbours. They were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. An example of the wickedness of the men of Sodom is given to us in chapter 19 and God willing we will consider that chapter in due time. It's difficult to imagine that Lot saw any guidance from the Lord when he made his choice. We too too can very easily make choices according to what looks nice and according to our temporal needs. I, I need that, I think I'll choose that way and not that way without any spiritual considerations at all. For example, you might choose to live in a neighbourhood that has excellent shopping facilities, it might have a nice park, somewhere where you can walk the dog, and all these things, but just one thing missing in that nice neighbourhood, there's no decent church to go to, and you haven't even given that a thought. How often does that happen with Christians? Probably all too often. As for Abraham, he saw that there were disputes between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Furthermore, he anticipated that the strife would pit him against his nephew. Consequently, he sacrificially brokered a peaceful solution. There is a godly quality in Abraham that we see there. As the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In those words, there's an acknowledgement that it's not always possible to live peaceably with all men. For example, peace should never be sought through compromise or sacrifice of the gospel. Rather, we ought to obey God rather than men. In fact, If your Christian experience is one of continual peace with all men, then you probably need to examine your life. As Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, 
and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Dear Christian, count yourself blessed when you suffer shame for righteousness sake or you suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Jesus is your righteousness. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad when you do suffer shame because of your walk with the Lord. Looking at verses 14 through to 16. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed for ever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. In verse 10, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the plain of Jordan was well watered. Consequently, he travelled east to that green and seemingly pleasant land. And it was a case of him as good as saying, goodbye uncle, at least goodbye for the time being until I need you. And that time would soon come. However, if his uncle was in need of consolation, he soon got it with the Lord saying to him, lift up now thine eyes. And the promise of great blessings were repeated to Abraham by the Lord. However, on this occasion, reference is made to Abraham's seed. We're going to see this promise of God several times more. It first came to Abraham in verse 12. Look at it there, um, where the Lord says in verse 12, we'll read the first three verses there. Now the Lord said, had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy father's thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, that's Canaan, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We come to that promise again. We come to it again, where in verse 15 there, all the land which, in chapter 13, verse 15, all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. So you see now on this occasion, reference is made to the seed of Abraham. In the first instance, Abraham, uh, God promised to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And that, we see that, that fulfillment with his uh, descendants, his physical descendants. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt and they, they, they took possession of the land of Canaan, a land 
flowing in milk and honey, the promised land of Canaan, the descendants of Abraham, physical descendants. However, that promise is elevated and exalted to an infinitely higher level in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. We know this to be the case for an absolute fact because it's given to us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul said, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul speaking infallibly as he was led by the Holy Spirit made it very clear that the the promise that was given by God to Abraham was to Abraham and to his seed. That seed being the Lord Jesus Christ. And where you, where you see it in chapter 12 and verse 3, it extends to all families of the earth. All families of the earth shall be blessed. That does not mean every family without exception, but it does mean people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And here in chapter 13, bearing in mind the promises to Abraham and his seed, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and what does the Lord say to him in verse 16? I will make thy seed, who is thy seed? Jesus. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. Sounds like a lot to me, doesn't it? To you. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. What does this mean? If thy seed is seed singular, and that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we see in Genesis chapter 13 that the dust of the... So that if any man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Is that seed one or is it a lot, as in the dust of the earth? Well, we know from Paul that it's one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet here we're being told, it's the, then shall thy seed also be numbered as the dust of the earth. The Bible makes it very clear again that the the seed is Abraham, uh, the seed is Jesus. What it means is the promise of God of everlasting spiritual blessings apply to all who are trusting in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their saviour from sin. The Apostle Paul went on to say, for as many of you as have been baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. This is where we're getting all the dust of the earth here. Doesn't you, Not just Jews, but Gentiles, slaves, free people, male, female, every tongue, every nation, every tribe. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. 
As we close, we've considered the selfless, sacrificial action of Abraham when he brokered peace between Lot's herdsmen and his own and ultimately between Lot and himself. No doubt when Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the fertile plain of Jordan, Abraham lifted his eyes towards his heavenly vest. Ultimately, we do well to consider the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set, th- set, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. One might say that Jesus lifted his eyes to see the joy that was set before him. He was about to go to the cross to lay down his life, but Jesus despised the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. He lifted his eyes to heaven. And then he made the greatest sacrifice that was ever made, sacrificing himself at the cross. He laid down his life, his life to reconcile hell-deserving sinners to a holy and righteous God. The Bible makes it very clear that we're all born into this world as hell-deserving sinners, children of wrath. That means the children of the wrath of God is upon you because of sin. However, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made peace through the blood of his cross. Abraham was keen to make peace between his herdsmen uh, and Lot's herdsmen. He was keen to ensure that there were, the peace was kept between him and his nephew, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace by the, by the blood of his cross to all who were trusting in him. Therefore, repent, be baptised, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. No longer will the wrath of God be upon you. Instead, Jesus will give you the right to become a child of God. That speaks of peace to me. We come into this world with the wrath of God upon us. But then, when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you the power, the right, the privilege to know God, to address God as Father. There's no greater peace than that, than to have God as your Father. And to have the peace of God which which passes all understanding that shall keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Amen.